Thank you so much. Tyler, I appreciate you this morning so much, so much. As our children make their way out today, I want to reiterate just uh, tonight we will be at Black Creek. Uh, Guys, the, the ones that have signed up, if some of you could come early, if you're bringing a tent, if some of you could come early and get things uh, set up and make sure that we have enough uh, areas for folks uh, to park and all of that good stuff, that would be great. If you have any questions, please see Wes Bond. Wes, would you stand up right there? No, you just go and stand up. Hey, and we do need a couple of guys for drinks today. All of our, you already got that taken care of. Never mind, we're good on that. And I'm thankful, Wes, for you. Uh, getting everything lined up and squared away for that, taking off work and, and just all the, all the work and effort that you put in this past week. It has been an incredible week at Union Hill Baptist Church. Uh, Vacation Bible School was just so wonderful. I was overwhelmed not only with the amount of children that we have, but overwhelmed with how hard and uh, that our workers served and with the joy of the Lord. And I just want to say with all of my heart, uh, that uh, if you served Vacation Bible School, I want to just thank you with everything that I have to help make our church everything that, uh, that it is and needs to be. And, and you uh, wear the joysome burden, the, 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 the burdensome joy of, of ministry along with me and our church staff. And, and I'm just so thankful for all of you guys that have made Vacation Bible School uh, everything uh, this past week. And it was just so, so wonderful to be a part of. Turn in your Bible with me to Philippians chapter number three. And as you turn there, uh, this past week, yesterday, we actually lost uh, someone very dear to us. Miss Sally Fields uh, passed away yesterday and her service will be this coming Wednesday right here at Union Hill. Visitation at one o'clock, service at two o'clock. And Miss Sally uh, was one of those workers for so many years in this church uh, doing so many different things, even uh, until she really uh, uh, became homebound. This is a woman that was making food for shut-ins and food for those that were sick and, and going around the community loving on people. And, and I'm just so thankful for her. She is with Jesus Christ now. And I worship Christ for uh, allowing her to complete the race that she started. She finished the work. She ran uh, the race. She fought the good fight. And we're so thankful for Miss Sally. And we pray for her sons and daughter uh, right now uh, during this time, her family. And so we lift them up. Philippians chapter number three. Look with me, if you will, at verses 17 through 21. A very uh, difficult message in some ways. And let's jump into this. Philippians chapter number three, verses 17 through 21. If you're new here, we are walking through the book of Philippians. And so Paul writes this from a jail cell. He is chained to a a, a guard in the imperial guard and Caesar's guard. He's chained to one of those uh, particular men and they rotate out every six hours is what history tells us. And so Paul writes this book, this letter to the Philippian church And Paul has really got the weight of this church and other churches on his back. He is praying that these churches make it. Uh, They are in the infancy stages of the church right now. And uh, and there's a lot of false teachers. And so Paul is going to deal with this today. Look at verse 17 with me and let's read the word of God. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross, their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly, 
and they glory in their shame with mindsets on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like the glorious body by the power that enables him even to, sub- to subject all things to himself. Lord Jesus, bless the teaching and preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you've been walking with us through the book of Philippians, then you've seen that Paul continues to land the plane on the truths of Jesus Christ. He'll talk about something, go back to the truths of the gospel. Uh, That's nothing new for Paul. There's nothing new for Paul. It is the gospel. It's always just the truths that Jesus died and has risen again. Everything is flowing back to those truths. And in Christ, we are saved. There's nothing new. There's nothing bigger. There's nothing better. There's nothing to graduate to. I know that that is typically the mentality of the human heart to make something better, uh, to make something more efficient, to make something more attractive or, or, uh, or more appealing. I can't tell you the amount of times that Aaron and I uh, have made something at the house and we're eating it. It's good. But Aaron and I are looking at one another and we're going, something's missing on this. What is it? Uh, you know, these thought processes to make something better. I, like, like I'm so glad that someone said in history, you know what would make this bag car phone better? If we could put it in our pockets, that would make it so much better. How many of y'all had a bag phone? Anybody have a bag phone back in the day? Is anybody still got the bag phone and they're using it? Just wondering. Or that moment when someone said, you know what would make our outhouse better? If we could have running water and bring it in the house, it would make it so much better. And I've often said, I would have loved to have been in the first Baptist uh, water, the first Baptist business meeting when someone suggested, hey, can we get the, the outhouse in the church house? Can you imagine that? No, that would desecrate the house of God if we had a bathroom in the church. Well, well, there is a sense which, which the need to make something better or more appealing brings out some creativity. And it, and it allows humans to flourish. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not attacking that idea. But, but when this human desire to climb a ladder to graduate, to believe that there's something else that needs to be added, particularly to our faith. This idea does not need to translate into the truths of the gospel. And often our need to add to the gospel is really driven by our internal desire to have something special over another believer, like, 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 I know something that you don't in my faith. I've arrived and you haven't. And if you follow me, then I can teach you truths that you haven't learned yet. Can I just give you a heads up? For most of us in here, you're probably not going to hear anything new. In fact, if a preacher preaches something new, he's probably preaching heresy. Because our job is to preach what the Bible has said for the last 2,000 years, basically. And to take it and to repackage it at times, but to basically bring to you for another Sunday steak and baked potato. 
to feed you God's word and what it says. It's not about who I am or my thought processes or my opinions or, or, or we're not graduating to a, a new message. It's the same old message. Christ died for our sins and in him there is redemption. We've sung about it and now we preach about it. Paul continually in his letter comes back to these ideas and he does it in our text. Look at verse 17 with me where Paul says in verse 17, look at the text. He says, join with me or join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. You go, how in the world is that coming back to the gospel? In fact, it sounds a little egotistical, doesn't it? Just a, a first glance into the text sounds like he's saying that I am the example. Hey, everybody be like me. But I don't really think that's what Paul is saying. I think what Paul is doing is he is redirecting the Philippians to steer away from those in the church who are teaching Jesus plus works. Jesus plus works. They are teaching a, a perversion of salvation. And what Paul is saying is he's saying this, hey guys, me and some folks around you, we're following Jesus. We're giving you a pattern to live by. Follow us because we're following Christ. Really when you think about it, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, this is really how discipleship works. We see someone that loves Christ and we come under their wing and begin to follow the pattern they are setting because they're following Jesus. We're all looking at one another. We're all looking at people in our life with gifts and strengths and talents that are being used to serve God. People that we know that love the Lord and we are learning. We are learning to follow. And I think about people in my life. I was thinking through folks in my life in Sunday school when, when Ryan uh, Peoples was teaching our Sunday school class this morning. And he was running the, the list of people in his life that he has patterned his life after. I'm thinking about those in my life. And I have brought several of those up from the pulpit. But I was thinking about as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about two people that were a part of Union Hill Baptist Church that, that have really left somewhat of a hole at Union Hill. I was thinking about James and Linda Franklin, the pattern that they gave me and so many in here about how to love one another in a marriage. And I didn't have the joy, me and Aaron didn't have the joy as being, as being a newlywed couple sitting uh, or in a student ministry sitting under their leadership because they taught students for so long. And then I believe they taught young adults and young married couples. and, all, and So we didn't have the, 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 the gift to sit under them. But, uh, as far as but, but the pattern that they showed and how they loved one another. And we caught them on the, the, the backside, the tail end of their life. And I got to be honest, when one would get sick, the other would serve faithfully. Some of us in here, we only think about marriage and the ideas that, that, uh, that, that Aaron, you're here to satisfy me and my desires. And as long as you make me happy, then we're okay. But a, a lot of us are forgetting the idea that, that marriage in a lot of ways is about the betterment of our lives when we get old. We need someone in our life to encourage us, to take care of us. So, some of you are old right now and you're talking divorce. You're too old to talk divorce. You need to learn to love your spouse. 
They're the ones that's going to take care of you. So the idea is I look at the pattern that they displayed for me. I look at the godly pattern that James Franklin displayed for me to serve his wife faithfully. And then when he went down first and became uh, all the way till his death, I watched Linda hold his hand, rub his head, be there until the last breath that he took. I want to be there one day with my wife. I watch that pattern. I think about People all over this church, I think about people in this church who have given me a pattern for prayer, and I don't want to call out names in here because there's some prayer warriors in here that pray for me and pray for my family all of the time, and I would not dare call them out because uh, they're, they're so humble. James and, and Linda were, were two of those people, by the way. Uh, we would talk so much on the front porch and pray together about the church and everything going on. But there are people in my life that pray. You have given me a pattern for prayer. There are men and women in this church who pray for me who have given me a pattern for prayer. I follow you. And I follow you because you follow Jesus. Justin Powers, Brandon, you guys disciple me, you sharpen me, you, we, we sharpen one another in conversations. There's a group of pastors that sharpen me in conversation. There's a group of uh, uh, that I'm in a text message with, a group of guys, some of them are in this church, some of them are sitting in here right now. They sharpen me, I'm following them, and some of them have been saved a lot less longer than I have, but I'm, but I'm being sharpened by them. I'm following their pattern. This is what Paul's saying. He's moving back to the gospel. There's this movie called Braveheart with Mel Gibson that came out a long time ago. If you've never seen it, then hang tight with me. It's probably, uh, this probably isn't going to make any sense. But there's this movie with, called Braveheart with Mel Gibson, and there's this scene where the Scottish are lined up and they're about to do battle with the English for their independence. And when the Scottish there, who, who don't have the armor, they, they, have, they have clubs and homemade swords, and I mean, they're just anything they could find to come to the battlefield, and they're there, and, uh, and, and they're looking at, at all of the army that the English have shown up with, and their, and their, their glorious uh, uh, regalia, their glorious armor, and their, their, their swords, and their, their, they just look like this, this well-old machine in front of them, and there's just this massive army, and they get fearful, and they begin to leave. If you remember the scene where William Wallace comes up through the hodgepodge army that they have put together, he comes up through on their horses and they come up through and they're painted up and they're ready to go to battle and he's looking at his army leaving him. William Wallace begins to, begins to speak to the army and he begins to redirect them and he has this wonderful line in this speech of men they can take our, they can take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. Y'all know this scene that I'm talking about? I think this is what's going on in the text. I think there are people in the church that are fleeing to another gospel. They're fleeing to another gospel. That Jesus plus works saves them. And Paul is getting in front of them and he's waving them down. Don't go. Come back to the fighting line. Come back to what you know is true. Follow me because I'm following Christ. I think this is what Paul is doing. He's bringing them back to the truths of the gospel. Well, what is this false religion? Verses 18 to 19. Let's look at the text real quick. 
What is this false religion? Verses 18 and 19. For Paul says, For as often as I told you before now and say again, even with tears, I'm crying about all this is what Paul says. Many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Let's talk through this really quick. This was a religion that mixed the Jewish traditions which made people right with God to have favor with God in Judaism. It mixed that with Jesus. Specifically... It mixed the Jewish rituals of circumcision, dietary laws, religious ceremonial laws, all of that to work for God's approval. It mixed that with Jesus. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. How in the world does this have anything to do with us? I'm getting there, but I got to set it up. I'm going there. Hang tight. Verses 18 and 19 refer back to verse 2. So if you got a Bible, look back up to verse 2 of the text. Look back up. Verses 18 and 19 refer back to verse 2. Look at verse 2 of the text. Philippians chapter 3 verse 2. Watch out for the dogs. Those men who do evil. Those mutilators of the flesh. Watch out for those dogs. Those evil doers is what Paul says. They're, these dogs were not pets, by the way. They're not sleeping in the bed at night with you. Uh, they're not kissing you on the face. And you're not talking to the dogs like this. This is not the dogs that, that Paul is talking about, right? Um, these dogs don't smile for dog biscuits. Anybody got a dog that smiles in here? Anybody? It's not the kind of dogs Paul is talking about. These were, these were pack animals. They, uh, they were mean pack animals. They devoured anything in sight. Paul calls them evildoers, describes their lifestyle. Really, verse 2, watch this. Verse 2 is referencing, hang in here with me. Verse 2 is referencing Psalm 22. Let's turn to Psalm 22. We got this on the screen. Psalm 22. Verse 2, Paul is referencing Psalm 22, which is a prophetic text about Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene. In fact, Jesus quotes Psalm 22 from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Right out of Psalm 22. This is a messianic text. Paul is quoting from Psalm 22 about Jesus and the cross. Look what Psalm 22 says about Jesus dying on the cross hundreds of years before Jesus dies on the cross. Psalm 22, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. There it is, dogs and evildoers. They have pierced my hands and pierced my feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And so what we have is a reference back to Psalm 22. Paul is referencing them. This is, once again, a prophetic passage. Paul uses the language in verse 2 from the text of Psalm 22. The reason he's doing this is because he's thinking back to those who were surrounding the cross of Jesus. He's thinking about Pharisees and he's thinking about Romans, Roman guard. 
Paul is thinking about all of those people who were so close to the gospel. They could see the gospel clearly in front of them. And they missed it. They missed it. And Paul is thinking about those evildoers. He's thinking about the fact that they were filled with rage. They were bloodthirsty. They were filled with hatred. They loved money. They took bribes. They cheated people out of their money. They created systems of money exchange that shortchanged people. They lied and manipulated circumstances for the betterment of themselves. Fact, they lied about Jesus. What's interesting is that this term dogs is also used in the New Testament several places. One of those, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, verse 6, where Jesus says, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and attack you. Dogs are not holy people. They are they are those who can't understand holy things. And so what Jesus is doing is giving some wisdom there. You better be careful sometimes about the holy things that come out of your mouth to unholy people. They can't receive them. So how do I know the difference? Spirit of God. Spirit of God. There's sometimes where me and you both need to shut our mouths and move on. Jesus stayed silent before Pilate, if you remember. So this is Psalm 22. The dogs were so close to the greatest man to ever walk the planet. They were so close to the greatest move of God in the existence of mankind, Jesus dying. And not only did they miss it, they mocked it. Back to the text. Verses 18 and 19 describes the dogs. These people were in the church at Philippi. It's possible they were in there battling for positions of leadership. Paul is addressing this. He's saying, hey, hey, these people, these people, watch out for them. They'll destroy your church. Union Hill, folks like this will destroy our church. They'll destroy it. We've got to be careful about who leads our church. We have to be careful about who gets into positions of service, who gets into positions of leadership. We have to be so careful to, to evaluate someone's heart. You better hear me right. To judge someone's heart in the Spirit of God. You can't say judge nobody. Don't judge nobody. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. The Bible is filled with judgments on all of us. To make wise judgments. And if I describe someone in your life that's like this, be very careful if they're your best friend. How does verse 18 and 19 describe the, describe the dogs? Well, they're enemies of the cross, first of all. Enemies of the cross. There's no focus on, on the sacrifice of Jesus that he, he's made for them. There's no focus on Christ dying. There's no love for the cross. There's no love for the resurrection. There's no love for the idea that Jesus saves us. Uh, the fact that the cross pays for our sin. There's no understanding of that. They don't talk about this. Uh, they don't desire this. That it, When you get into conversations with people like this, it is never spiritual ever. Uh, his death, his death. 
uh, has no meaning to them in understanding the idea that, that we are called to die. So there's no understanding that they're called to die in their life because Christ has died. And so they ultimately are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's move on. Their God is their destruction or their end is their destruction. That's what the Bible says. Uh, the, the, the idea, and I think that the scripture is teaching this. I think we could look at other places, don't have time. But I think Paul is talking about an eternal destruction here. This person, without salvation, dies and goes to hell. And there are other places where Paul talks about an eternal destruction. Not only do I think therein is destruction, but I think that the, that the, the, the trail of lives that they destroy shows destruction. Because these kind of individuals destroy lives. So I think Paul is referencing both. Their God is their belly. Their God is their belly, meaning whatever their appetite is, they pursue it, and they pursue it with all they got. They chase after anything their heart desires, any appetite that they have. Now listen to this. These folks are in the church. This is what Paul is saying. Be careful. These folks get in the church and begin to lead. We cannot have that. Their God is their belly. They, they have no satisfaction until they pursue their lusts. And I just want to say from the pulpit, sin can never satisfy. If you are trying to satisfy your life in sin, you'll never be satisfied with this much sin. It always The line always has to be redrawn to this much sin, to this much sin, to this much sin. Ask an addict. Could they stop at one moment of whatever they were addicted to? And they'll tell you no way. That's how sin works, and it works like that for all of us. It's, it, their, their God was their belly. What, whatever, whatever they wanted to do, not only did they do it for the one time, they lived their lifestyle in it, any lust. You want to talk about eating this morning and overeating? I think it's part of the text. I think the Corinthian church had a, had a lust for food so much so that they, that they wouldn't even give the poor folks any food at the Lord's table. I think food is involved here. I think sexual appetite is involved here. I think there's a lust for hatred. There's a lust for, the, uh, for power. There, uh, any kind of lust that you can think of is involved in this. Whatever appetite they had, they pursued it and pursued it to the hilt. Watch this, their glory is in their shame. That's what the text says, verse 18 and 19. Their glory is in their shame, meaning that there was a pride in shameful things. Pretty interesting that we come to this text during Pride Month, isn't it? Is that interesting to y'all? See, this is why expository preaching is fantastic. This is why preaching through a book is fantastic. You want to know why? I'm not on a soapbox. The text has pushed us there. The text has taken us there. I don't have to preach soapboxes. Let's just preach through the word and deal with it as the Lord sees fit. So let's deal with it. Brothers and sisters, these individuals who are in the church, the acts in their life that are known to be disgraceful and honorable, instead of being ashamed of those things, now they are taking pride in those things. 
I didn't make it up. The text lays it out. They glory in their sin. Their sin makes them feel special and unique. Brothers and sisters, if this doesn't describe the agenda of the LGBTQIA+, I don't know what does. That's their agenda. To glory in shameful acts. And don't hear me wrong this morning. There are men and women who wrestle with sin from from. Any sin that you can think of, there are men and women who love God, who hate their sin, and will, and will wrestle with their sin till the day they die. But they're wrestling in the Spirit of God, and they see victory over that sin, just like you see victory over your sin. I, I'm not talking about believers here. I'm talking about a, a, a lost agenda to glory in sin. And this agenda from the LGBTQIAP plus is to glory in an insatiable appetite. And students, you're going to have an opportunity to make up your mind right now and in the years to come on what you think about all this, and that's fine. But we go to the Word of God and what the Bible says about sin, any sin. Uh, I've just picked on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight sins here. And let me just say this, because sin cannot be contained to a box, sin has to grow. Mark it down, more letters will come. It's why I'm reading all of them to you. We have not talked about in the list the polyamorous, which says this, I don't have to be married, I can have as many partners as I want to have, male and female. Why isn't there a P for polyamorous? We haven't talked about the polygamist. Oh, I can be married to Aaron and five other women. And then y'all can have a Netflix show and y'all could call it Sister Wives. Why isn't the polygamist on here? Brothers and sisters, why isn't the pedophile on here? Why can't any of those people say God created me like that? Their glory is in their shame. Mike, you're on a soapbox. No, I think the text is lending us there. And I don't just have to pick on sexual sins. I was listening to a preacher this morning. He was giving glory in his sin of greed. You know what he said this morning? Jesse DePlantis. Y'all know him? Wearing his $81,000 watch. Says, I expect to make more money every day. And I do. It's coming to me. One of my chandeliers costs more than most people's houses. And I got 22 of them. That may be more sinful than the LGBTQIAP+. Because, because at least in that community... There's no manipulative agenda in comparison to a preacher who would get up and preach Jesus and something that is contrary to Christ. Their glory 
is in their shame. Instead of hiding their sin, they expose their sin and are proud of it. Their mindset is worldly. i got to move on for time's sake. So what does this have to do with all of us? Well, I tell you in 2023, it's the same idea. Yeah, it's not Judaism and Christianity, but it's, it's twisting our faith. It's the temptation to mix Jesus with a worldly system of thinking. It's Jesus in anything our belly desires. And so we... We become enemies of the cross. Destruction is our end. The God is our belly. We glory in our sin, and we have a worldly mindset. And then watch this. Somehow, somehow, we stamp Jesus on the top of it, and we've created a new religion. We've created a new religion. John MacArthur says this. He calls it humanistic psychology, which has found its way into the Christian theology, preaching in the church, that men exist for his own satisfaction, that man, to be happy, must have all of his desires met, perceived needs met. So you have Jesus and the good news of the value of you. So you have Jesus and the good news of you being significant. You have Jesus and the good news of wealth, and Jesus and the good news of health, and Jesus and the good news of happiness. So humanistic psychology says that I'll never be happy until I have my needs met. And that is why so much preaching deals with come to Jesus and he will meet your needs. Can I just be real honest with you? If you don't know Jesus and you come to Christ, he's probably not going to meet the needs that are in your life. Instead, what you will find out is the things you thought you needed, you really didn't need those at all. What you needed the whole time was just Jesus. This system, Jesus plus, never works. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Let me shut this thing down. But this, according to verse 20, is not who we are now. According to verse 20, this is not who we are. Some of us used to be the dogs enemies of the cross, pursue uh, every lust that we have. Our belly was our God. Some of us used to be this person. Some of us used to to hate Jesus. Some of us used to say, I don't hate Jesus, but life is about me and it's about my happiness. That used to be some of us, but, but now this is not us. Since Christ has come in, there's been a great exchange. The word used there is citizenship. Dylan, I'm going to invite you guys to come forward and get us ready so you'll shut me down. 11.26. It'll make me preach faster and we'll get out of here. But listen to this. There's been a great exchange. You better listen. I'm an immigrant. Not only that, I was an illegal immigrant. And God, when he came into my life, gave me a new identification card. And he changed my status. When Christ came into my life, 
my desires changed. When Christ came into my life, He began to transform me. Look at the text. Look at the text. Verse 20 and 21. My citizenship is in heaven now. And I eagerly await from there the Lord Jesus Christ. So so now my life is about serving Him. And as I serve Him, I'm waiting to see Him appear one day. If He doesn't appear while I'm living, then one day when I die, I'll see Him face to face. This is who I am now. I'll tell you who I am. Philippians chapter 3, I'm verse 3. Look at verse 3. It's the complete opposite of the dogs. Look at verse 3. We are the the true circumcisions, the one that that hadn't been cut in the flesh, but spiritually my heart has been cut. My, My belly is not my God. In fact, I worship by the Spirit of God now. It's the complete opposite. I don't glory in my sin. Now I glory in Christ Jesus. You see what Paul's doing there. He's flip-flopping these things. So now the Spirit of God is my God. And now I glory not in my sin. In fact, I'm ashamed of my sin. I heard a testimony from Justin Anderson the other night uh, where he says he prays before uh, the testimony and he has this, this, this war story before he comes to Christ. And he looks at, I don't know, 35, 40 men and he says, I do not want to glory in old wars and old battles that I used to do. Because how many people glory in those things? And he left out so much of his testimony because he's ashamed of those things. I'm ashamed of my sin. Are you? We take our shame and we give it to the Lord and then the Lord makes beauty from ashes. I don't glory in my sin. I glory in Jesus Christ now. He's the one that saved me. And then I put no confidence in the flesh. You know, it's the complete opposite of putting confidence in the world. I don't put confidence in the world. I don't have a worldly mindset anymore. Christ has taken that from me. I want to walk in Him. I don't want to walk in who Mike Stevens is. I want to walk in Christ Jesus. Verse 3 is the complete opposite of verses 18 and 19. Who are we? We are a people who await to see Jesus. And until that time comes, we live for him with all we got. Can I get an amen this morning? That's how it is. If you're here today, you don't know Christ. He died for you, rose from the grave for you. If you're here today and you're a believer... And you're wrestling with sin. Can I just give you a a, a word of encouragement? Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Because it is a good fight. Run to Christ. We don't feed our sin to make it grow. We starve it. Run to Christ. Run to Christ. The invitation is for anyone in this place that needs to do business with God. He loves you. He loves you. He will redeem your life. Father God, we bless your name. You're good. You're good and you're gracious, Father. As we go into this invitation, Father, bless it in Jesus' name that we pray.